0: Hi, my name is Martin Purnell and welcome to Off Grid Christianity, a weekly podcast for those who go or don't go to church and for those who are disillusioned. This podcast series is to encourage our conversation and not necessarily change your mind prior to listening. You can contact us as well by email ogc at accessradio.biz, business.biz, check out our Facebook page, Off Grid Christianity, and we have our own website now, offgridchristianity.co.uk. So please enjoy today's guest, who started his career in marketing and worked in business for companies like 3M and RHM. That's Rank McDougal to you and me. A change of career in 1996 saw our guest get ordained before being the Coordinating Prison Chaplain in Nottingham for 10 years, 8 months and 2 days, which sounds like a sentence in itself, doesn't it? He then became a vicar in Leamington Spa. In 2017, he learned more about the three S's, Sun, C, and Sangria, as pastor of TCF, Toro Vista Christian Fellowship, on the Costa Blanca, where he has overseen not only a name change to Salt Church, but also by a new church building and church plant as well. gives me great pleasure to welcome to Off-Grid Christianity today, Chris Knight, the three S's, Sun, Sea and Sangria. Love it.
1: (laughs) Indeed, no, absolutely. No, it's really good to meet you, Martin, and good to be here this morning.
0: Thank you very much indeed, sir. Right, let's go for it,
1: sir, if that's okay. Yep.
0: Have a go. The five questions. Let's see how you get on.
1: <laughs> Question
0: number 1. If you could invite anybody from history for an evening meal, alive or dead, so that you could ask him questions, who, good sir, would it be?
1: Well, I have to say Martin that these five uh, icebreaker questions have caused me an awful lot of thinking. <laughs> Just before we came uh, on air this morning that I've managed to answer number 1, the history <laughs> one. There's so many amazing people for me, actually, maybe surprisingly or not, it would be Charles Darwin, I think. Very controversial figure. But uh, yeah, I think I'd, uh, uh, I'd like to have a chat with Charles Darwin.
0: I think that's a brilliant answer. Why have you chosen him?
1: Well, I think um, he changed so much in the world. He changed so much uh, in the view of where we've come from, in the view of God or creation and all these sorts of things. But he himself said if there wasn't a lot of evidence then he would change his theory. So I'd like to have a chat with him, bring him a bit up to date with some of the latest evidence and see what he would think of his theory in the light of new discoveries in the 21st century.
0: That is brilliant. He died an agnostic, I think, didn't he, at best?
1: There's various answers to that. I mean, there's something about a deathbed conversion or, you know, there's various uh, issues surrounding how, how he did end up. But he had a pretty tough life. Lots mm. of things happened. You know, He started off in a seminary thinking very much about God. And I think he got probably rather angry along the way. But either way, he noticed all these things uh, and he came up with uh, his theory, which is still only a theory. But it'd be interesting to see what he thought, you know, in the light of all the, the new technology and all the new discoveries, particularly DNA and stuff like that in the 21st century. But, yeah, I mean, it's still a theory, isn't it? It is not it I mean, I, I think anything like that, it's very hard to absolutely prove it. You know, it annoys me slightly that it's taught as an actual fact when perhaps there are other answers to that question. So it'd be interesting to see whether he would actually change what he thought if uh, if we had a good discussion with him.
0: Yeah. Actually, uh, I'm just going to go off track a bit and just tell you a little story, if that's all right. Yeah. 1993 oh dear all those years ago I went because i ended up going skiing on a note called skiing holiday. right as we were on the flight the lady who sat next to me obviously i liked to have a chat and it turned out she was not only swiss but she was a lecturer so I consequently i said what do you lecture in she says oh everything post darwin you know i'm a, a darwinist oh. and i was going oh well, that's interesting i'm a creationalist you see right yes and she said well as far as she was concerned She would go all to the creationist meetings because at the end of the day, it's just a theory. And I went, oh, not going to the BBC, it's not, and all that sort of stuff. She said, well, no, you've got to. That's how it it works. So we have interesting debates. Well, as the plane came into land and we taxied to the the terminal building, obviously I got up and pulled down her fur coat, you see, and it fell down onto her head. I said, I'm really sorry about this. Here's your coat. And somebody from like three or four rows back shouted out, oh, I think that's a post-Darwin coat. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm going, Did you hear our conversation? He said, I think the whole plane did.
1: <laughs> and passions can rise, can't they, on such topics, but
0: Yeah. It was like the way you and I were talking. There was yeah, no animated oh, conversation or anything. It was it was brilliant. Uh, so if that lady's listening, hello. <laughs> that's a great answer, Darwin. Thank you. I'd actually like to be in that conversation. Let me know. Question two Who is your favourite biblical character or favorite biblical story
1: or favorite parable, please? I mean that one was a bit easier for me. um it'll be Abraham Abraham, ah I studied quite a lot, as you might gather. um and of course he's the the father of faith and he was an amazing uh, an amazing character, and he did some incredible things. so yeah, my favorite uh, Bible character is Abram, who became Abraham.
0: I don't think we've had him for yonks and yonks and yonks was, ah, okay. that's a nice change. Question three. If you were prime minister for the day and could change any law or impose new law,
1: what would it be, sir? Yes, that that was a really tough one. I mean, I suppose there's so many things, but something that's quite topical I picked up in the news. I would probably change inheritance tax. Oh, tell us more. But there's a logic to that. I think a lot of a lot of middle England in the UK, you know, I mean, houses, are, house prices have gone up enormously. You know, people look to their houses as their, their pensions or, or whatever. Yep. You know, I'm probably a, a low tax man. That might give some things away. But the only thing I could think of at the time was uh, the inheritance tax, changing that, abolishing it or changing the threshold. Very good. Lifting more people out of it, because I think a lot of middle England could get hit by it. Excellent.
0: Good answer. And of course, middle Scotland, middle Wales and middle Northern Ireland as well.
1: Yes, I did mean, of course, Great Britain. Absolutely, of course.
0: Well, yeah, but you're living in Spain, aren't you, sir, at the moment? Well,
1: I mean, I'm forgetting so much. I've been here for six years, so it's it's amazing how you forget words and all sorts of things. It's, it starts to change you. You're doing very well with your English, I have to say. Well, OK, thank you. It might, it might drop off a bit later on with a hard question.
0: <laughs> you are also allowed to have a frivolous answer, if you've got one.
1: I'm really not a frivolous. I've... it very hard to be frivolous unless it just comes out naturally so if i do too much thinking i guess i'm a bit on the serious side but you know it's great to have a joke as well but my brain just shut down on these questions these are so difficult uh, icebreaker questions but they're they're pretty tricky
0: thank you (laughs) Yeah, yeah yeah question four outside of family events what has been your most enjoyable day out please chris
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously living in Spain gives different opportunities and uh, spent uh, a number of a number of days down in Granada at the Alhambra Palace Mm -hmm. and uh, going around, you know, looking at all the Jewish uh, quarters in Granada. It's a golden era in Spain where actually the religions actually got on pretty, pretty well for quite a long time. But Granada is an incredible place. The, you know, the Muslim Alhambra Palace, the architecture is, is outstanding. Right at the base of the Sierra Nevada. So you come out and you just see the creation of God, you know, towering over, over Granada. It's uh, been a, a really great place. Recommend it to anyone. Wow. Um, but a fantastic place to go and visit.
0: Wow. What people forget when you say, for instance, all the classic uh, spaghetti western films of the 1960s. People think they were all filmed in Italy, but actually most of the outdoor sequences were filmed in Spain.
1: They were down that area in yeah. the uh, in the desert, and they were all filmed in Spain. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
0: Right, sir, so the final question. What has been your most embarrassing moment to date, please?
1: Yes, well, I mean, I've written down here, that's too embarrassing to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's my frivolous answer.
0: I'll take the second most embarrassing moment then. <laughs>
1: Well, that's also too embarrassing to talk about. Well,
0: no one else is listening. that would be fine.
1: I was preaching. I was preaching uh, in Leamington Spa. And I was, uh, I got all excited about uh, what was going on in heaven, what was actually happening around the throne of God or the worship and the singing. And I started saying, and there, there were thongs and thongs <laughs> of angels. And of course... I obviously meant to say there were throngs, yes. throngs and throngs of angels. So that was one very embarrassing moment. But everybody laughed, and that was quite good. If you want a second one, I do have one that's Please. yes. into my mind. It also is to do with church. My um, very first communion service uh, at St Mary's in Leamington. The table is all laid out, and I'm, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not the best at knowing what goes where and all that sort of stuff. I'm quite low church. So I came to the cup and uh, I poured the wine into the cup and people I could tell were looking a bit funny. Anyway, I poured the wine in the cup and my, my helper passed me some bread. And, and so it came for me to pass him the cup to drink the communion wine and he refused to drink it. And I said, well, you know? what's going on? I had poured the wine in the base of the cup because it was upside down on the table and it had about 150 years worth of rubbish and crud and it was disgusting and <laughs> i looked down and i realized what i'd done everyone was laughing and then it was the case well what do i do with the wine so i looked at him and he just said drink it drink it so i drank it i mean i'm still alive to tell the story <laughs> But I couldn't give in communion after that. Everyone was just laughing. It was just so funny.
0: Would you like the clean wine or the dirty wine, sir, madam? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah.
0: Now that is cracking. Well, Chris, thank you very much indeed. What a life you've had to date so far. I don't know where to start, really. How about, as Julie Andrews would say, right at the very beginning?
1: Go
0: for it. Let's talk about your early years. and What was it like being a Christian in business? We mentioned 3M earlier on, which I think is different. Was it Minnesota Mining? something rather it wrong. is
1: yeah the Minnesota mining and manufacturing company i actually became a christian on my year out from university oh wow i was working for 3m at the time and um, it was about six months into it that i actually became a christian but 18 months before uh, at the beginning of my second year at university i had quite a bad car accident i uh, wasn't a christian obviously i was in my sports car with a mate we'd been out to a party and on the way home, I just decided, oh, why not turn the car over in a ditch? <laughs> Bit of a silly thing to do. Yeah. And uh, the car got flattened. I was a meatloaf fan at the time, so Bat Out of Hell was playing. And the music was going like a bat out of hell, you'll be gone when the morning comes. comes. Here we were upside down in a in a flattened sports car. We were still alive, actually, because we didn't have the over-shoulder seat belts on so our heads could actually crash down. And I remember the next day, uh, I was going back to university on the train. Um, I was probably going into shock. I was smoking away in the, in the compartment on my own. And I looked out at, um, at the world, bearing in mind at that time, I was an ardent uh, Darwinian evolutionist. I looked out at the uh, world and I could see crisp blue sky, a tree is a tree, a cow is a cow, a sheep was a sheep, a hedge was a hedge. And I looked at it through different eyes and I suddenly thought, do you know what? There must be a creator. Yeah. And that just popped into me. And I remember praying uh, my first prayer, a proper prayer as a non-Christian. I said, if there's a God, then I'm glad that I'm alive. If you exist, I give you permission to find me. And, and if it's true, then I'll follow you all the days of my life. And that's a dangerous prayer because within two hours, I'm back at university and some acquaintances, I didn't really know them that well, but they came banging on the door and they say, Chris, Chris, we've been praying for you and and we think that there's something gone badly wrong. Are you okay?" Well, I was looking at them with an open door. I said, what on earth are you talking about? They said, well, we've been praying to Jesus and we think something's happened. I said, well, actually, yeah, I've had a very bad car accident. I think you're a bunch of nutters. (laughs) And I just shut the door. I literally shut the door, slammed it in their face, sat on my bed. And that's what I burst into tears as the shock was coming out. And uh, that was the start. And then everywhere I went after that, I just heard the name of Jesus. So it got very confusing. So I ran away to 3M. And I thought, I've got away with it. I can put all this behind me. I can get back into, you know, fast cars, earning money, mm. living life. Do you mind it being a longish story? No. But what happened was um, we were throwing a party at uh, at the house. I was, I was actually the signature, so I felt responsible for a student house. It got a bit noisy, so the police came out and they raided us. And <laughs> I ran around the place and I'm saying went everywhere all over the party get your clothes on flush that down the toilet whatever you're doing you need uh the police are here yeah ran down the stairs and uh at the door was a very attractive uh woman police officer and her sergeant and uh that very attractive woman police officer is now my wife and uh she was a christian in the police force And um, I bumped into her a couple of weeks later. We matched a piece of story together. One thing led to another. And she did the thing she should never have done. She said, if you come to church, I'll go and have a drink with you in a pub. So I went to church chasing a woman. And I found God. I found God in the church. So, you know, it's a bit of a story. But I heard, you know, people being very yeah. real about life and death, being very real about history. I started checking it all out and uh, and I found myself actually coming to a state of believing it was true. So my prayer on the train, if there's a God, I give you permission to find me. 18 months later, wow. I became a Christian and he found me. So and I'm married to the to, to the copper who raided my party. <laughs> oh that's just
0: fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. I have a feeling you've told that story a hundred of times. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it is—it's my testimony, and that, that has been told yeah. a lot over the years. Yeah, of course, you're quite right.
0: Well, I've got another question for you as, as a result of that. What's the number one question people ask you as soon as you finish that story?
1: Um, actually, that's a good question because quite often there's there's sort of quite a lot of a lot of silence. And, and actually, I can't think that there is a normal question that, that people ask. It, oh. It's not like there's a standard question. They might pick up on different aspects of the story. Quite often, it might go into the creation and is there a God? How do you know there's a God? And, and what happened at the precise moment you became a Christian? So we unpack that a little bit. Uh, and it, it does lead into some very interesting conversations. But there's not like one response from people. Oh, well, you disappoint me, Mr. Bond. Uh, well, I apologise for that, but there's not a standard question that people ask. This
0: is where you turn around and say, well, what do you think is a standard question, Martin?
1: Well, what do you think then is a the standard question, Martin? What question would you ask?
0: What sports car did you have at the time when you uh, crashed it?
1: there you go. It was a Triumph Spitfire Mark IV. It was white. I forgot to put lead in the boot. That was the problem. <laughs> With with one of those cars, they're a bit light and bouncy, and you need to weigh down the back end and then it stays on the road better. Is that true? It is true. It's no. absolutely true. Yeah, absolutely true. That's what you need to do with a tried spitfire mark four. Wow. But I learned that too late, didn't I? You did. And because you
0: weren't wearing proper seat belts.
1: Yeah.
0: So it was the this, this standard one that you pull from your, your right shoulder down, it was that stand that yes. you had. So you could lean forward as opposed to the harness
1: type that's right so we it didn't stop us otherwise we would have it would have broken our necks and everything i mean we were completely doubled up uh in the well of the car i mean literally completely doubled up I Had a, i only had a small scar as the windscreen came down it just nicked my cheek but it could have sliced my head off so it, you know yeah me and my friend were very um fortunate but i i felt so responsible obviously that's why i started going into shock absolutely your friend, yeah. whatever happened to him then? I don't know now. We sort of parted ways throughout university, but but I became a Christian, shared the gospel with him. Um I don't know where he is at the moment. We've lost touch. We have lost touch. Life does that. We go different paths.
0: This would be great wouldn't to if I could say, well, you're not gonna believe it, but here he's here tonight. Would you please welcome well, it would be,
1: it would be, but but you never know. I don't know.
0: Not yet, anyway.
1: Life is like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: I had the privilege of going out to America a couple of times to do loads of interviews. And one church person that we were staying with took us to his friend, who was the son of the most famous evangelist America's ever (laughs) brought out of the country. Can't give any names. Billy Graham comes to mind. Anyway, it was his son.
1: Uh, Yeah, I was thinking that. Yeah.
0: This is going back about nearly 30 years ago now. And he was speaking up front, regaining his stories of when he was at university in America. Yeah. And he had like, a sports car trying to show off to young yes, ladies and yeah, everything else like yeah. that. And it was a bright yellow Trump Spitfire.
1: There you go. And my he took goodness. the mickey
0: out of it. How dare he do that in front of a Brit? So fortunately, right. at the, at the, the only thing I can remember is that backstage after school, we were invited backstage to meet him. And my boss yeah. who was with us, presented him with a Bible from England, Northern Ireland, Wales and Scotland. I then said, you can't take the mickey out of a Trump Spitfire. I put him right. It might have been rubbish, but it's our rubbish.
1: Well, <laughs> it functions fine with more weight in the boom. That is amazing.
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, they're lovely cars, fast, Absolutely lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was that then. Eventually, you go, obviously, to Bible College, I would have thought, in order to become a vicar.
1: Yes, yeah. I, I, I worked for about seven years uh, in 3M and off to marketing in Ranko with McDougall's, which was yeah. great. Really enjoyed it. But uh, we moved to a small village in Oxfordshire, and I just believed in supporting the local church, so we went to the local church, which was an Anglican church, yeah. and uh, met a great bunch of people, you know, serious about God, and uh, joined the joined the church. Very very small, but I started running a Bible Bible study. I started getting interested in reading and studying the Bible more. So through that process, started to feel actually, what do I want to do with my life? I mean, yeah. I really enjoyed marketing, but it just felt there was more value trying to get the gospel out to people, you know, eternal value stuff. Not that um, we're not trying to do that, you know, when we're we're working. I mean, I was trying to do that when I was working. You know, your question, what was it like being a Christian in the workplace? Actually, it was quite difficult because you always come up against some ethical question somewhere. Um, I remember an agency came and they wanted to do a promotion you know you write a brief for a promotion Mm. anxious came back and they wanted to do tarot cards and they wanted to do all these types of things in the promotion and i said not on my watch and they said you can't do that i said well actually yeah I, i i'm the marketing manager it's my budget we're not doing it it became quite unpopular you know because people didn't fully understand why i was saying no so you get into some great debates but you know, people can rise up over the strangest of things. Yeah. But there was no way I was going to do a promotion, you know, under my watch concerning tarot cards and anything like that. I just don't think that's helpful.
0: About 30 years ago again or 25 years ago, I had the privilege of interviewing a very well known radio station at the time, or still is a very well known radio station, the chairman. And you know, he had to make an executive decision as a Christian. And the first yeah. thing he did on day one was to get rid of the horoscope phoning that they had. Yeah. Immediately, So you can't do that. You know, we're getting so much money in and everything else. That. He said, no, it's going. And it did. And yeah. they didn't have any complaints, from very And, in fact, I think the money actually went up in the end on something else. So, yeah, it's amazing if you stand your ground.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's brilliant. Being a Christian, just living as a Christian, is it, it, it's a challenge. I mean, so many people have said to me, oh, being a Christian, it's a crutch, you know. Oh, you know, it's uh, it's to get you through life. And I'm going, well, actually, being a Christian is one of the yeah. hardest things I've ever done <laughs> in the sense of having to live, forgiving one's enemies, having to uh, having to struggle with with actually not headbutting someone. You know? Yeah. you know, before before I was a Christian, I might do stuff like that or I might take someone aside and get, you know, it's it's not an easy way of life. It, it can be extremely challenging. Yeah, I've had quite a lot of that.
0: Well, that's what I'd like to focus in on, though, that's all right. Rather than yeah. do a, this is your life, Chris Knight. Yeah? yeah, go for it, yes. I just want to put a, a little flag coming up here. If you're of a certain age and you think, well, I haven't got a girlfriend yet, what Chris is saying sounds very, very good. That does not mean that in order to go out with a Christian policewoman, you go and do something stupid, right? I'm just saying that.
1: Yeah, correct. <laughs> there are other ways...
0: No, most definitely.
1: Just ask her out for a start. No, most definitely. I mean, (laughs) life is life, isn't it? Life happens and you're just, uh, you're responding to what goes on, what hits you.
0: Exactly, because you might get arrested and, of course, you might end up in prison. This is a good link, isn't it? Yes,
1: it's a very good link.
0: This is what I'd like to focus in on now, because I already picked up on the fact that um, you've obviously been counting the number of days, weeks and months and years that you're a prison chaplain, 10 years, 8 months and 2 days. Yeah. In light of the fact that you've seen the other side of life as well from people you've you've walked with in prison, what was your time like there, first of all? And then we'll expand on that, if that's okay.
1: Yes. First of all, I love being a prison chaplain. It's incredibly rewarding. The challenges are I had to oversee the freedom of all religions operating Mm -hmm. in the prison. And, of course, all religions do not agree with one another. And so, you know, I was having to manage a multi-faith kind of team. Uh, and that can be very yes. tricky and certain things can happen and issues can crop up um, and they need managing. So, you know, as a, as a trained manager, you know, my, my marketing, my, my uh, administrative degree really helped in trying to work through all of that. So, you know, people have a right, they have a right in the country. So you try to leave the religious differences behind and just facilitate the right. But inevitably, I was always in debates, fantastic debates with uh, lots of different religious people, which uh, helped me learn an awful lot about where they're coming from and for them to learn about about Christianity. But being in prison, um, it was a private prison, privately run, we had prisoners who were queuing up to come to us. Uh, they wanted to come to our prison because being a private prison, we had to entertain, well not entertain them, they had to be busy for 35 hours a week. So they had to do education, they had to be out of the cell, they we were training them in in electrics, in gas, you know. They were being educated and they were being very productive. So they weren't banged up behind doors for very long at all. It was trying to normalize life. And in the Chaplaincy, we were able to break new ground. We even did family services. We managed to get their wives or their partners and their kids to come into the chapel. And uh, that was breaking very, very new ground at the time. And so we we did lots of things, you know, trying to support prisoners, trying to support their families to rehabilitate. So that's what the whole thing was about. So it was a great 10 years, eight months and two days. It was very, very challenging. I was squashed a, an awful lot.
0: What do you mean by that?
1: Well, you get caught in the middle of things. So the way uh, a regime works, they want to work through one person. So they want to work through the the full-time chaplain, which was me. So I'm having to help resolve all the other issues that are cropping up with all the other religions. And and I And I have to say, you know, at the time in the prison... We were having a a, a a rising population of a particular religion that was mm-hmm. impacting on how the how the prison was running, and um, and I'm having to try to point out to the regime some of the dangers of all of that, and uh, and that was quite politically difficult. Yes, that's where you know it can be it can be actually quite hard. Particularly if you feel that one religion is being favoured more than another. Yeah. I have to say, it did feel that Christianity was the one religion that was losing out more than most. In what way? We couldn't have all of our religious festivals in the way that other religions could have theirs. There were difficulties being mixed up in the country and, and the understanding of uh, of what Christianity is. So, I mean, I wonder, one example is... I did. I just informed people that Jesus wasn't born on the 25th of December and they were absolutely shocked and surprised. And they thought, I'm a heretic, you know, uh, because in prison, everybody celebrates Christmas. Everyone celebrates Christmas on the wings. Everyone gets Christmas dinner. But we wanted something special for the Christian lads. We wanted the Christian lads to have their own Christmas. Yeah. But that's a lot of work for the regime. However, it's their Christmas, and we should be allowed to celebrate it as believers, not just stuck on a wing with everybody else. So that that caused a lot of aggravation, and it took a couple of years before we were allowed to do that. And that's when you feel you're being a bit squeezed or you're letting your lance down, if you can understand what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, no, I can, because, okay, this goes back about twenty twenty five years ago. Yeah. I had the privilege of going into a couple of prisons, voluntarily to go and interview people not for yes. any other reason and I got the impression that the chapel was always open and you're always welcome in there at any time maybe I've got that wrong
1: yeah different prisons run differently right and so you're, you're under a, an overarching kind of um, body of people who are running that prison so um, we had specific times when the when the chapel was open we could bring people up You know, if there had been a death in their family, we would bring them to the chapel. But um, no, we had specific times. And one of the biggest things I had to oversee was um, the transference. I mean, in in, in the days when I was in the transition between having a chapel and having a separate multi-faith room, in our prison, it was quite small and there was a growing, a massive growing population of a particular religion. So the regime decided to turn the chapel into a multi-faith room. Well, that, that caused an awful lot of difficulty and that was very hard to manage. Mm. So for lots of different reasons. And um, again, you know, being the person trying to sort it out, you you get yourself squashed. I'm pretty sure that multi-faith rooms or, or chapels have probably disappeared from prisons now. I don't, I don't know. But at the time, there had to be a chapel because it's the religion of the land and everyone else would meet in their own multi faith room for everybody else but under my watch they were merged together which was difficult
0: what about your faith at the time then how was that struggling or maybe it wasn't
1: two things on that number 1 when you're being crushed
0: yeah.
1: you know you feel persecuted so so you're you're having those issues to cope with you might you know be angry in yourself but but you're, you've got to be a Christian and do it the right way. So that caused tensions personally. But my utter belief in the Lord Jesus Christ as being the way, the truth, and the life strengthened absolutely massively. <clears throat> the more I learned about all the different religions, mm. what they stand for, how they function, how they operate, Jesus just stood out above above everything else so high that you know it, it was obvious to me that absolute truth is in jesus christ so it strengthened my my faith from that point of view whilst at the same time you know you're you're really struggling with certain injustices that are happening uh, that you don't really have power to overcome
0: so how'd you come to the conclusion right this is how i go ahead with it then how do you do it
1: yeah i mean halfway through i I was there at the five-year mark I was there and it was really getting difficult. And I, I was thinking, I think I've had enough of this and mm. we'll, we'll leave now. Uh, my wife also worked in prison. She was a volunteer. She did some amazing things with prison fellowship and we used to do restorative justice courses, but, but Helena was sort of doing most of those things. But at the halfway point, I thought, well, I want to leave because this is too pressured, you know, and, and I can't see a way forward. Um, And then Helena just happened to say, well, if there was a way forward, you know, would you stay? Because she loved prison. She loved the lads. You know, she would walk the wings and she was running stuff. So I said, well, look, okay, if we get a new multi-faith room, if the pressure starts to ease, if we're allowed to do more things as Christians, I'll stay for 10 years. I'll stay another five years. We've got to be careful what you say to God,
0: because
1: (laughs) literally three weeks later, and I knew nothing about this, Literally three weeks later, the prison was going to double in size. They were going to build a brand new multi-faith room, which was much bigger, much better. And we were allowed to do many more things. So in the last five years, that's when we were doing all the amazing all the amazing things. It opened up. And that's why I stayed 10 years, eight months and two days. I fulfilled my commitment to God. I said I'd stay 10 years and I did.
0: So how would you or what would you say to people at the moment then? who well, are going through similar but obviously different circumstances because not everyone listening today would have thought it was, it's a prison officer, let alone a, a chaplain.
1: But, you know, where the pressure's on them at the moment, Yeah. in light of what you've just shared there, yeah. what would you say to them? Obviously, I can only give some top-line indications. Um, it was a, a lot worse than I'm able to say, really. But I think the first thing is you need a lot of support. So you need you need people like well you need people who you can trust who you can talk to i have to say we had a fantastic diocese up in nottingham and um you know the church of england came in um and i would have reviews with them and and you do various questionnaires because they're you know they're trying to find out exactly how are you doing and on my questionnaire yes. it came out a little bit like this guy needs an awful lot of help so immediately they actually got what a life coach they they assigned a life coach to me immediately Mm -hmm. i would go once a week for about 10 weeks actually and i went and saw the life coach who was able to open my eyes uh and take me out of the narrow the narrowness of the pressure and enable me to see a wider world and it's at that time i started painting again so i started having more hobbies i started uh, trying to do different things outside of work to bring a better balance to mental health, a better balance of my motivation. Uh, it was a very testing time for lots of reasons, but you know, I, I came through it and, um, and those types of things really, really helped. Yeah, so you need mm-hmm. good people, you need to be able to talk about it, you need to break out of the narrow view that you get trapped in and you need to do different things.
0: It's interesting you mentioned life coach because I suppose another name for that would be spiritual director.
1: Yes I had one of those as well. Oh really? Yes yeah but there's kind of different disciplines I think you know spiritual director is great yes you you, you pray you're bringing your faith into things which is incredibly important and I had lots of friends I was part of I was part actually of the ground level network up in Lincoln uh, the ground level network of churches and You know, once a month, I would go and join with all the pastors. They'd have a a monthly meeting. I was in a small group with seasoned pastors, So they became my spiritual directors. So I had quite a lot of support. But I have to say, you need both, I think. You need some spiritual direction. But having a life coach breaks you out into into doing more in life that actually builds you up and takes you out of the, 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 the trapped mindset that you're in.
0: Yeah. You and I are obviously of a certain age. We so are. if we go back <laughs> yes. yes. if we go back 30 or 40 years, you know, if we ever had a, an American coming over and been on TV, being interviewed, that often talk about, well, my therapist says this. I can't do an American yeah. accent, obviously. And you know full well that in the press the following day they'd be saying, Oh, yet another American comes over, therapist, huh, what do we know about it? But it proves that therapy does work. So for those yes. that are trapped yeah. at the moment, here is your one
1: minute cell
0: for why you like life coaches and and, uh, spiritual directors
1: yeah absolutely yeah when uh, trouble comes to everybody you're not immune from from life's troubles whoever you are whatever you believe trouble comes but when it uh becomes unbearable then you must break out of the mold there's no shame in asking for help find the right people find the right place find people that you trust and go and go and talk and seek the help that you need. If you need to see a GP, then obviously there's there's that route. I found the life coach, the, the spiritual people who are around me, they managed to see me through.
0: Brilliant. Thank you. And if you haven't heard episode 50, which is uh, with Peter Mockford, who is a, a very well-known, well, maybe not so well-known, but top of his game when it comes to psychotherapy and everything else, we did a, yep. what I consider to be a really good podcast, and it's called Prayer and Mental Health, or as yeah, I brilliant, brilliant. subtitled it, I Can't Possibly Have Mental Health Issues Because I'm a Christian. Have a listen to that and let us know what you think about it as well. And that's to people listening today.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Going back then to the prison very quickly,
1: Yeah. how did you
0: cope with people when you started to find that they were opening up to you and you realised they had some serious, serious trouble past and obviously created trouble as well? How did you cope with
1: that? You can't be a prison chaplain. Um, I mean, actually, in in my personality profile, I'm quite high on judgment. I'm quite high on judging or what is uh, right and wrong. I have a great sense of right and wrong. When you're dealing with people who know they've done wrong, they're in prison, they've been caught. then I had a policy of, of not really wanting to know exactly what they've done so that I wouldn't prejudge them, so that I could get to know them, I could make my own mind up, so that you know they would be able to, to talk to me without me knowing everything about them. Obviously with some people you had to know, but um, I tried to approach people exactly the same. My job wasn't really to judge the past, they're being judged, they're in prison. What I was about was trying to reform them as people, trying to share the gospel of Jesus with them so that they could have a heart change and a life change. And actually, obviously, my my aim was to help people become Christians. Lots of people used to come to the chapel and they would be doing their little drug deals on the back row, but there was always a strong, always a strong gospel message. And there's a number of amazing guys from different parts of the world, actually, who slowly moved forward from the back row and who ended up on the front row and who became Christians. We used to bring a birthing pool into the prison uh, to baptize wow. them. So we'd bring a birthing pool in. This is all happening in the, in the last five years because it all opened up. But we used to bring a birthing pool in, baptize them by full immersion. And actually a number of these guys, I mean, a lot of them are now out of prison. They've done their time. But a lot of them still see some of them on Facebook in different parts of the world. They're still Christians. They're still going on with God. It's good to, to think or to feel you've really helped someone get their life together.
0: I had the privilege of interviewing in my previous career in a radio station, a gentleman by the name of Chris Lambriano. And I must contact him.
1: Soon. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know, Chris. You know him, do you? Well, I, I uh, yes, I've met him a number of times. He's He's been into our prison, yeah. Oh, wow. Going back a long time, because I've been out of it now for yeah. 15 years. So, yeah, we met Chris Chris Lambriano,
0: yeah. He very kindly drove all the way up from London yeah. to the radio station in Stoke-on-Trent to be with me. For those who have never heard who he is, uh, he worked for the craze He did, And yeah. if you don't know who the Craze are, K-R-A-Y, Google it, and then you realise just <laughs> how the craze in London ran London. In like the mid '60s for some time, and he was one of their henchmen. I think that's fair to say. Mm. But anyway, Chris, he said when he was in prison, he needed roll-ups, and he would use the Bible because it was very thin paper and was ideal yeah. yes. for for making cigarettes. And I'm just wondering, therefore,
1: how many Bibles did you have left after
0: yeah. <laughs> that had pages missing? No,
1: it's it's a well-known fact. They used to do that. They, they used to even gather up the dust around the around cells and roll it up in the Bible. Uh, actually, I know a, a great Christian guy. Uh, one one lad who uh, was a Christian. He he was evangelizing, or he was just sharing Jesus on his wing. So one day, they actually uh, got out before he came out of his cell. They were all out. They bricked him in with Bibles. So they bricked his cell door up with Bibles. Anyway, um, over the next sort of four months or so, he handed every single Bible back to every single person on the wing. So he was getting pressured but he responded really well. You get all these stories, all these things happen. Yeah. Lots of things happen.
0: Could be a lot worse, couldn't it? But the
1: fact that they they yeah.
0: bricked him up yeah. with a bible or two.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Obviously there's really serious things that happen in prison most of which I couldn't talk about anyway. No, absolutely. But you know, stuff happens. It's a rough and tumble place. Yeah, I don't want people to think that prison is really easy you know, but um, there's good, the bad, and the ugly.
0: Yes, which is a nice link back to uh, our talk earlier on about a certain film. Very good. Well, listen, thank you for sharing that, because obviously you then decide after 10 years, eight months, and two days, that's it. You you feel God wants you to move on, and you end up in uh, Royal Leamington Sparrow, some people call it, or Leamington Sparrow, as other people call it. How different of a culture change was that for you then?
1: Well, that was a huge, huge shock, because all of a sudden... I'm uh, standing in front of a church and there are there, there are ladies in the, in the congregation. Uh, it was a real shock. I'm seeing all these uh, ladies on the first Sunday, which I hadn't been used to. I've been used to like 50, 60 mm-hmm. tough guys. And, uh, and then all of a sudden and there are uh, there a lot of children running around. So it was a bit of a culture shock. But it's amazing how you can move forward quite quickly. How you know the past becomes the past and you focus on the present. Um, so, you know, it probably took a good three or four months to really kind of start settling in. But, you know, the management skills that you need, you still use. So there were a lot of things that were the same in management. But uh, I think the biggest shock was seeing seeing ladies yes. in the congregation. And
0: also making sure that, that when they left, the Bibles were still there, pages intact. Yes, you've got,
1: you've got some of that.
0: Going back a few minutes, you said, you know, you're very high up on uh, rights and wrongs.
1: Tell me more about what you mean by that, please. I worked out in, in prison that um, there's righteousness, truth and justice. They're very, very big things, but they need to be balanced with grace, mercy and forgiveness. I learned out of out of prison, particularly when you're being, you feel you're being bullied by a regime or something. There's right and wrong, but then there's grace and forgiveness. And, and in mental health terms, when I started to learn more about how to show grace and true forgiveness, it does help your mental health. Otherwise, you're holding on to my rights to justice. I think as a person anyway, my personality tends to be there's there's an ultimate truth. Um, not all things are true equally. So I've got this thing within me. But I must admit, when I became a Christian, it really kind of switched on quite strongly there is only one way to the Heavenly Father, it's Jesus Christ. There's only one true gospel. There are many gospels out there, but there's only one true gospel. And um, and so, yeah, I, t- I tend to look at the world probably, you know, a-, a bit right and wrong, but having to salt and pepper with grace, mercy, and forgiveness, if that is a good answer.
0: And it's a very good answer.
1: It's tough being a Christian. Naturally, we just want to be my rights and my way and, and that sort of thing. So if ever, if anyone says to me being a Christian is easy, actually only real men and real women become Christians. It is the real, the real life, but it's a hard life, and we will have trouble in the world, and Jesus said it, and it's absolutely true, absolutely true.
0: I have learnt in my Christian faith and in my walk that the way I learn on how to go is how others have done it. And uh, I've made an executive decision this week to stop reading all these great Christian books. This is just me personally now. Yes. But read books on biographies of Christians to see how they did it. Yeah. For those that listen to that, I'd like to ask you a question on this then, because yes, we know about that Jesus came in and completely turned it upside down. So when Hmm. you think you should be going in and doing this, actually Jesus would be doing the complete opposite. Yes. So, In your life to date then, give us some examples please on how you realised that actually this is what you should have done in the first place with Jesus, but you went something else.
1: Um, Oh, that's, I mean, that is a good question because in trying to stand up for what is right and particularly when you feel responsible for other people, I made a, I did make a, what, what I now consider to be a big mistake. I actually put in a complaint to the regime about a set of issues. yes, i was justified in that but it was the wrong way forward it would have be been much better to swallow the pride it would have be been much better to spend a lot of time going to the various people and really working on getting them to listen and to hear and to have a have an explanation uh, an engagement but i suppose you know i got to a place where i was so hyped up and frenetic it was like this is the last straw you know but when those moments come, that's when you really need to sleep on it and don't react. Don't react too hastily. That was a, a, what I consider to be a big mistake. By the end of the whole thing, it did sort a few things out, but I do think it could have been done in a more gracious way. But that doesn't mean being a doormat either. This is yeah. this is the tightrope. You know, Christianity is is not to be a doormat. We stand up for for righteousness and truth, but the way we do it is through loving our enemies, it's through, it's through doing good to people, but that demands so much from us yes. as Christians. That's not easy, that's not an easy walk, and we're all going to make mistakes with that. I mean, you know, we are, so we mustn't beat ourselves up when we make the mistake, but we can learn from it. That's a
0: great answer, thank you. In fact, then, let's very quickly just highlight something else, because you've, you've talked yeah. about... you've had to work in a multi-faith room and be aware that obviously you have to look after the the other religions and the the people that are there for those that really struggle with yes but you know this person's of another religion i I can't cope with them and all that sort of stuff what would you say to them
1: right that's i mean that is a good question i mean i had some of my greatest debates uh, with the uh, muslim imams that were there Uh, i used to have amazing debates with muslim Mm. prisoners and, you know, we, we could get on really well and we could have a really good debate. Um, was it going to change anybody's mind? Maybe not. Although there were a couple of lads who, in my discussions with them as prisoners, they said, Chris, I really want to believe what you're telling me. It, it just sounds so amazing. But if I did become a Christian, then I would lose my family, I would be cut off from my culture. It could even be worse than that, and particularly in prison, if someone, say, if a Muslim did become a Christian, for example, then there would be problems. I mean, there's going to be some serious trouble. Yes. Experience some of that when people had to be taken out of the prison for their own safety and protection, because that's when it can get pretty rough and tumble. Yeah. So that's when it gets very difficult indeed. But you still try to um, continue with the debating. You still try to keep people safe, you know, and you can strongly disagree with with what other religions are saying. They they have no problem disagreeing with with me. So, you, you know, you, you learn to be able to have a robust debate.
0: That's a great point you just made there. Other religions have no problems with saying that you're talking rubbish about Christianity. Yeah. If you can accept that then just start talking.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, one of the things I've picked up in the paper is um, I think a council has decided, we're back on this again, it happened 20 years ago, but a council has decided to remove the word Christmas to be more inclusive. Yes, And actually that's one thing which united all religions <laughs> in the prison, all of the imams and, you know, Buddhist minister, it didn't matter. All of the ministers were in agreement. You You make the country more dangerous if you deny your own religious backgrounds and if you start removing christianity from these types of things actually you're adding to making things uh, less safe not more safe and actually less inclusive not more inclusive and that was the wisdom of of all of us from all the different religions this is you know great britain you know has a a judeo-christian heritage what they wanted was for us to be equally as strong about Christianity, so they could be as strong about their religion. And so, if we if we do down Christianity, it's a big mistake. Yes, it is a huge mistake. Yeah. Now I've been political. I was here saying, <laughs> got to be careful not to be political. <laughs> it's fine. If
0: you, as long as you say, in my opinion, you're fine. So just say in my opinion. Yeah,
1: and it is my opinion. There you go. But I can share. It was the opinion of the multi-faith chaplaincy religious leaders. Yes that actually all this kind of trying to remove Christianity from stuff is actually the wrong decision for everybody. So that's something that really needs to be debated and thought through properly, but it's cropped up again. I've just read it today. So, you know, it's um, for me, it's silliness coming back. It's a lack of understanding
0: yes. of what's going on. Yes, and you know, it's one thing we've learned from history is that we've never learned anything from history.
1: I'm afraid that that is very, very true. Absolutely. I wish I'd come out with that quote. I can't remember who we came out with it first. Each generation's got to learn all the lessons all over again. Exactly.
0: To summarise all this then, from the perspective of people who are listening today who really struggled trying to be a Christian at workplace, but there's such and such and such and such who are different religions, yeah. what would you say to them?
1: Well, the immediate thing and my approach was not to be ashamed of the gospel. Uh, the gospel is the, the power of God to salvation to those who would believe. And, um, and I think there's, there's this pressure to to dumb Christianity down. And, and I think that's a big mistake. We, we should not be ashamed of what we believe. We should present it in a really intelligent, good, uh, in a good way, with grace, and with mercy, and we, we would make the whole thing better if we did that. So we shouldn't be hiding or apologizing. You know, we need to know our stuff and we need to think through what is the best way of sharing these things, but not to be frightened or ashamed. Because the one thing I've learned is, is that all other religions, they will fight and stand up for their faith and they will express it when needed. And Christians need to do exactly the same. We must not be ashamed. We must stand up. I mean, with what's going on in the world, not to be too political, but I've been challenged by when you hear about terrible things happening to Christians in other parts Mm. of the world, there isn't 100,000 Christians on the streets going to the embassies demanding that that country changes. And, And I do think that with other religions, it doesn't take much for everybody to come out and to stand up for what they believe in. I think we as Christians should do more of it in the right way, in the right way.
0: Yes. And the fact you said the word fight, that's with the small F absolutely. as in.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, fight the good fight of faith, isn't it? It's, um, you know, we are in yes. that, in that situation where we mustn't be ashamed of what we believe.
0: Yeah. Fighting without guns, ammunition and fists, basically. No, we
1: fight with love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, We do good to our enemies and uh, we go the extra mile for people. But at the same time, we're not doormats.
0: I just say to you, and I've said to many other guests in the past, Chris, that, you know, we'll see where we go and where we end up. I haven't even got round to talking about the three S's, sun, sea, and Sangria. I do apologise. We'll have to get you back for another time because I think what you've shared has been phenomenal. But in the remaining 30 seconds before I get to the final question then, Tell us more as to why you're in Spain now, please.
1: I'm in Spain because when my mother died in 2004, I got a small inheritance, which we were able to buy a holiday home. So we wanted a bolt hole to get yeah. away from the prison and all these things. So we did all of that. But I came to a church here in Torrevieca over 10 years. Helena, my wife, would sing. I would preach. They got to know us. So when the previous pastor retired, they asked if we would take it over. and Cut a long story short, very difficult year making this decision. We decided it was the right thing to do. So we took on the church. And that's why we're in Spain.
0: The final question, which I ask every single guest as well, because how I've learned is by reading biographies to get my faith going. So Chris Knight, who is your Christian hero, please?
1: The person who's had such a big effect on me, particularly as a young Christian, uh, was David Pawson. So David Pawson, he's gone to be with the Lord now, of course. He, he died at the age of 90. But he did his Bible teaching series on every book of the Bible. And this was coming out as I was starting my journey in Bible study and starting to learn about this amazing book, the Bible and about Jesus. And so I used to get his tapes once a month. They used to come out and I used to eat them for breakfast, dinner and tea and um, learned so much from him and would, would always be uh, very thankful. And I did meet him once. He came, uh, as a, when I was a curate, he came to Banbury as our a speaker at an event. And um, I got mistaken for David Pawson because I had a Morris Minor car. He was well known for his Morris Minor cars. Oh, Moggy. Okay. He loved Morris Yeah, good old Moggy. And so the the people at the gate, they were briefed. He's got a Morris Minor car. Nobody else has got a Moggy, So your speaker will turn up in a Morris Minor. Well, (laughs) I had a Morris Minor that I was doing up. So I turned up, wound the window down I said, oh, hello, Mr. Paulson, you know, very nice to see you. And I have to say, I mean, I laughed my head off um, and I had to disappoint them (laughs) that I wasn't David. But um, yeah, he's had a big influence on me. And uh, he's a controversial figure as well. But, you know, he would stand up for what he believed and, and he would have very good arguments for why he believed what he believed. And I respected him for all of that.
0: The main thing was his uh, view on uh, once saved, always saved, wasn't it? That was a big talking point in the 70s and 80s. It, absolutely.
1: And he's done quite a few books like that. And he has challenged the church in his thinking. I mean, nowadays, the church is shifting into hyper-grace and all sorts of strange things are going on. You know, occasionally you need someone like David just to get the thinking back on track.
0: What else do we know about David Pawson?
1: Oh, I mean, he was was an army chaplain. I mean, my goodness. And he uh, was in the Middle East as an army chaplain and um, he did some quite amazing teaching, which could be now seen as perhaps being prophetic about the state of the world, you know, he did some teaching on some of this and he'd witnessed a lot in the Middle East himself. I'd been a prison chaplain. He'd been an army chaplain. Yeah. Yeah. I think he came from a farming stop. Yeah. I think his parents were farmers and things like that. He didn't enough know his Bible and he worked really hard.
0: David Porson taught me something massively yeah. actually that I'd like to yeah. end on because I too met him once very briefly and he was at an event And I'd been a Christian for about a month, two months, something like that. And I can tell when it was was 1987. And he got off the the stage and was obviously going to be escorted out (laughs) to his car. And uh, as he was coming out, I was really incensed because he was saying, about, Once saved, always saved. And so I stood in front of him, politely said, Can I ask you a question? And you could see other people wanted to move move me away. And he said, Well, no, make it quick. And he took time out to do that. That has been very instrumental in my life as was a few years later, by this time working in Christian Radio, I had the pleasure of interviewing again this time on air. Oh, wow. He sent me over his book as well. So the fact he was prepared to spend time, he could have said, no, I've got my chips to go to in my muggy.
1: Yeah, if no, you- he, he would always give time. He was a, a very deep thinking person. And, yeah, he's challenged the church in, in various doctrinal, doctrinal areas. He's definitely done that. Uh, lots of people don't like him because of that but i think you know it's good to to yes. challenge our thinking and to pull us back to the concepts of the bible and not not some of the things which are happening in the world today you know there's some wacky things going on isn't yes. there but that's another story for another time it is. But at least david he would always try to be biblical and bring things back to biblical principles whether you agreed or didn't agree i mean it's an amazing argue wasn't he i mean. A debater, it's very hard to to debate. I've seen many a debate with him and you know, principals of Bible colleges, and David would always come out on top. Yeah. You know, he knew his stuff.
0: And for those that want to find out more about David Pawson, Pawson is spelled P A W S O N. It is there, we go. Or just type in Moggy, which is the, the nickname for Morris Minor. I'm sure you'll find him that way as well.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. And of course, he's got a website um, with loads of free well. material. So, you know, you you can really get some fantastic, really grounding. I mean, his teaching really grounded me in the whole of the Bible and helped me piece a lot of things together. Didn't always agree, but that's fine. But that's it.
0: Chris, thank you very much indeed for joining us today. Thank you.